Okay, welcome to the Neuropod. It's been a while. My name's Alex. I'm the Vice President of NeuroSci as of spring 2022, and this is the start of our pre-series. Um, basically, we're going to talk about what it means to be on different pre-professional tracks as a neuro student, and even as an on-neuro student, if you're interested, then feel free to listen along. I'm going to talk about what it means to be pre-PA or pre-position assistant, so let's get started. A PA is a provider. Um, what that means, other providers are um, doctors or nurse practitioners. And what a provider does is they have an advanced degree. They provide direct patient care. They work with uh, patients in just about all ages in specialty and primary care areas. They diagnose and treat illnesses and work with minor procedures. Um, specialties that PAs can work in is including but not limited to anesthesia, cardiology, dermatology, emergency medicine, general practice, internal medicine, neurology, OBGYN, radiology, pediatrics, surgery, etc. The options are very broad. There are a lot of options. The median annual salary of a PA, according to some random website, is $115,000. But that pay will definitely vary depending on the state that you're in and the specialty that you're in. So keep that in mind. So then what's the difference between a PA and an NP and an MD? I'm going to talk about NP first briefly because I actually don't know a whole lot about nurse practitioners. I was never on that track. I never wanted to be one. So I don't know a whole lot about how to get there, but I do know that they first have to get a bachelor's of science in nursing. They have to become a registered nurse, work as a nurse, get experience, and then apply to a two to three year nurse practitioner program where then they will um, be doing a job similar, but not exactly like uh, PA or doctor. Okay, but PA versus MD, I can talk about. PA schooling is a two and a half year program after you graduate undergrad. After that, you are good to go. You are ready to be a PA. You can do residency if you want to um, in a specific specialty and get experience there, but you do not have to. Doctors, on the other hand, have four years of medical school. After that is two to six years of residency or internship in their particular specialty, and then one to three years of fellowship or specialty training um, if that applies. So that is very different. Um, that's a lot more school for doctors. Um, and where that um, comes into play down the road is that PAs don't necessarily work with full autonomy the way the doctors do. They work, quote, in collaboration with a supervising physician. And that doesn't mean that the doctor is breathing down their neck at all hours of the day. Because if they were, then there wouldn't be any reason for a PA to exist. The reason that they're there is to help alleviate some of the, the load of so many patients um, and take care of their own set of patients so that the doctor can take care of their set of patients um, instead of doing all of those patients by themselves. And so just to kind of describe what that would look like in real life, I shadowed a PA in endocrinology, and what that looked like is she would see her own patients all day. She had her own patients. She would talk about treatment plans. She would prescribe XYZ. Um, and then send them on their way. And she would do that all by herself. And then at the end of the day, she sends 10% of her charts over to the doctor and he signs off on those. And he says, hey, this looks good, looks fine. I, I approve it, um, keep doing the good work. Um, one difference might be if a PA comes across a very complex case, like say it's just something that's super complicated, you don't have all of the background knowledge that the doctor got in those many years of schooling, you will hand that over to the doctor. 
And that could be a significant trade-off for you if you're thinking, you know, I want to get all the complex cases. I want to be the top dog. I want to be the one who's dealing with, you know, I want to be the smartest person in the room. As the PA, you are not going to be the smartest person in the room. You're not going to know more than the doctor who went to so many years of schooling. But you are going to know a significant amount because a lot of learning happens on the job. As you're seeing these patients, as you're learning about things, as you're reading the literature um, in your job at the moment. I am somebody who does want to be top dog and I really relate to that desire, but I also ultimately chose PA because I decided that the lifestyle was more important to me than, um, you know, being top dog and being the smartest person in the room and having that status and prestige. And what I mean by lifestyle is there are a few differences in what you do as a PA versus an MD and the hours that you hold and what you are allowed to do. So one thing that PAs have that MDs do not is called lateral mobility. And what that means is when a doctor graduates their four years of medical school and they're preparing for residency, they apply for a specific specialty. And what that means is based on your grades and your standing compared to your peers, you will list your top specialties and based on those grades, you will get matched to one. You don't necessarily get to pick. You don't always get your first pick when you're choosing your specialty because a lot of MDs would choose the same specialty then because a lot of people want to become a dermatologist because it's a pretty easy lifestyle. You get a lot of pay, but you don't have to deal with being on call because how many skin emergencies do you have? How many people have, you know, moles that need to get looked at in at 2 a.m., you know? So that's a really good lifestyle. A lot of MDs want it. And my understanding is that you don't necessarily get your first choice. And then after you are matched, um, you know, and you accept that, you cannot change. After you finished your residency and trained for years in that um, subject, you obviously cannot just drop it all and say, oh, I want to be a radiologist. Um, it doesn't really work like that. I think you choose it and then you are in it, is my understanding. PAs, on the other hand, aren't matched and do not have a long residency like that. So after they say they apply to a job and they are a radiology PA, um, and then maybe after a few years, they're like, you know what, this isn't really what I thought it was going to be and I want to try something else. They can. They can apply to a different job in a different specialty and they can train on to that job. The endocrinology PA that I was shadowing started out in primary care. She did years in primary care, and then she decided she wanted to change a pace, so she chose endocrinology. And that is really attractive because, you know, you just have that option. If, you don't, if you're not sure exactly what specialty you want and you think maybe you'd want to even try multiple specialties, you can do that. It's, it's, not, it's an option for you as a PA, and with an MD, it's not as much of an option. Now, one thing that MDs can do that PAs can't do is they have more flexibility overseas. So if that's important to you, um, take that into consideration because PAs are an American profession. The physician assistant job was created mostly because we would have combat medics and medical people come from the war and they needed a job. And they can't be a doctor because they didn't go to medical school. So then what kind of job can they have? Well, let's have them be physician assistants where they work underneath a supervising physician. Um, but they're mostly independent and can still do good work. And that's where that job came from. But because it's an American job, it's not necessarily recognized in other countries, which means that you might have difficulty 
doing something like Doctors Without Borders. You would probably have difficulty moving to another country and trying to be a PA there. But if that's important, then definitely do your own research because I was curious about it, but then I ultimately decided, you know, the odds of me wanting to go overseas are slim to none. Or not slim to none, but slim. And ultimately, I can't make such a big life decision just on this one thing that I maybe wanted to do sometime. So there is definitely a trade-off between MD and PA, and I really encourage you to do your own research. There are a lot of really awesome YouTube channels where people who are PAs and MDs will debate each other and talk about the differences between their their lives and their careers. There's one really cool one that's um, actually a married couple, and like I think the husband's a doctor and the wife's a PA, and they talk a lot about their differences and what they do for a living, um, but definitely do that research yourself. Um, especially since there are not a lot of resources at Beaumont. Um, in terms of PA, we don't have a pre-PA advisor. And we do have some advisors for certain things, but I would be very wary of um, not necessarily of receiving advice, definitely receive advice. But I have had people, faculty, who have tried to help me in my pre-PA journey who have told me things that were actually not true because they did not know that this was a certain way for pre-PA as opposed to pre-med or as opposed to pre-something else. So definitely do your own research. Don't take somebody else's word for granted, even mine. Um, figure this stuff out for yourself because you need to learn that independence um, at the start. So anyways, there is a trade-off between MD and PA. MDs are going to get the status. They get to be called doctor. They get to have the, the MD on their name. They get more autonomy. Um, you know, when they start out, of course, they're a resident and they have an attending, but eventually they do get more autonomy. They have more freedom to open a private practice. I think PAs can still open their own private practices, but again, do your research because I didn't research it because it's not really something I'm interested in at the moment. Um, or at least, you know, be so far in the future that I don't, I don't need to think about it right now. I'm pretty sure PAs can open their own private practices. Uh, it might vary by state. Continuing on, MDs get more prestige, they get more money, um, and they get to deal with the most complex cases. PAs, on the other hand, I would argue, have a more achievable, easily achievable balanced lifestyle. They have less debt than a PA, than an MD because they have less schooling and less money being paid in that way. Um, and they have that lateral flexibility, the ability to change specialties um, and be flexible in that manner. Now, how can you understand this difference for yourself? Besides research, I would shadow. Talk to people, try to network, literally just ask somebody, hey, can I shadow you? And that's scary, it scares me, it's, it still scares me, but you gotta do it. You can email, you can text, you can call, find them in person if you can, um, but really you gotta shadow. Um, and if you don't know anybody, there is a program with Vanderbilt. I don't remember exactly what it's called, but just look up Vanderbilt Shadowing Program. And you can literally just apply and pick a specialty that you want. Um, and you can shadow. They'll let you shadow. They'll match you with somebody if you don't know anyone personally. Um, the only downside is uh, last time I checked, this shadowing program only allowed you to shadow once a year unless you were a Vanderbilt student. So, yeah. You could probably still... Um, shadow somebody, but you would have to like try to network while you're in there. 
and be like, hey, can I come shadow you again? Or do you know anyone else I could shadow um, in order to shadow again after that with that same person or in that same network? Okay, I'm going to talk about applying to PA school now. Um, because again, nobody really told me any of this stuff. I had to figure it out for myself. Um, and hopefully you won't have to figure it all out for yourself. Um, so what you do, first thing I would do is pick your schools, look at the requirements. A really good resource for this is called the PA platform. It's like a blog website. Um, and what they have is they have like a map of the United States and you can click on any state and they will tell you every PA school in that state. And that's really handy if you're picking PA schools based on location, which most people are. They're going to pick ones that are near their family or, or that in a certain area, which they want to live later. Um, and then once you look at the school, some things you need to look at besides requirements is you need to look at their pants pass rate. That the pants is the, like the board exam that you take after you graduate PA school and the pass rate will determine basically how well these people were educated. You want that pass rate to be, I would say, above, definitely in the 90s, probably above 93 on average. Um, if it's below that, then you need to ask, why is it so low? Like, why aren't these students doing well in this test? Are they not being educated well? Um, what's the environment like, etc. And when I say look at requirements, I mean a lot of different things. I mean the hours that they are requiring. I also mean the classes they are requiring. Because different PA schools require different classes. And now, depending on what schools you want to apply to, that's gonna you're going to have to add classes into your plan of study. Classes that I had to add um, would include anatomy 1 and 2, bio 2, biochemistry, medical terminology. Um, and I was already taking organic chemistry for medical school, but you would have to add that in as well. Some, class, some schools will also want like English classes or psychology classes. Most classes, um, most uh, PA schools also want general psychology, which you should be fine with if you're a neuro student. But you need to look at that. You also need to look at if you have AP credit, look at if those schools accept that AP credit because they might not. So keep all that in mind. Um, do the best research that you can because um, you need to plan that stuff pretty far ahead. As opposed to hours, there are three kinds of hours that schools are going to require to some degree, typically. There's patient care hours, shadowing hours, and volunteer hours. Shadowing speaks for itself. It is what it is. You know what it is. Volunteer hours, my only advice would be pick something that is actually meaningful to you. Something that you can talk about in your essays, something that maybe you can even connect to why you want to be a medical professional. It doesn't have to be a medical volunteer job, but connect it to your motivations, have it connect to your background. Don't let it just be some meaningless thing that you do to get hours. It has to mean something to you. And finally, patient care hours. What that means is it is direct patient care. They want to see you providing care as a healthcare professional. And how the heck do you provide healthcare as a healthcare professional while you're still a student? That is hard. Um, in my opinion, the best job that you can have is called a CNA or a certified nursing assistant, which can also be called a patient care technician or a care partner or a nursing assistant or a tech. Um, this job, you can get certified for free. You can also work uncertified in certain hospitals or areas. And I think it's just the most achievable and the most significant as a student. 
Other jobs that pre-med students will do, like scribing or pharmacy technician, they might count for your school. They also might not. Some schools won't count those as direct patient care, or maybe they'll only half count them. So ultimately, you've got to do that research yourself to see what schools want. Some don't want any hours. Some want 500 hours. Some want 1,000 hours. I've even seen schools that want 2,000 hours. So keep that in mind. Okay. Other things you can do, like EMT or phlebotomist or medical assistant, I couldn't figure out how to do those jobs without getting certified or having to pay to take a class. Um, but if you are certified, then absolutely go for it. You'll have to do your own research there. So becoming a CNA. I believe that NHC, which is a nursing home corporation, organization, whatever you want to call it, um, I believe that they offer free classes, which are like a couple weeks long that you could do maybe in the summer um, or even maybe over winter break um, that train you to be a CNA and then then you're set free at the end and you can work for them possibly or you can find a job elsewhere. Um, so that's a really awesome resource. I would look into it. Or if that for some reason doesn't work for you, um, HCA hospitals, which are all over Tennessee, um, there's Southern Hills, Skyline, Centennial, the Parthenon. There are so many other HCA facilities in the area that um, you can find one. They hire what are called patient care technicians, and they do the same job as CNAs. I think the hours are always just about counted just as equal as CNAs, um, but you don't have to be certified, and you can apply without experience. So that's really that's what I um, ended up doing, and it's really important and really significant that you start that early because getting those hours is very, very, very valuable. It gives you something to write about in your essays. It helps prepare you better than anything else that I've ever done as a student. It really shows you what it's like to be a medical professional. And it definitely helps you figure out if this is what you want to do or not. Because um, you get to see everything up close and personal. Um, one thing to keep in mind um, is, you know, how do you work in school? Because CNA jobs typically are 12-hour shifts, which is obviously you can't do that if you have class. These shifts are typically either 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. or 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. I know some people who have done night shift. I personally wouldn't do it because I like, I'm really anal about my sleep schedule and I don't want to change that to work night shift. Um, but night shift is definitely a different vibe than day shift, and some people prefer that. So look into it if you want to. Um, but anyways, last semester and the semesters before, when I was doing 12-hour 12 12 hour shifts, I would do them on the weekends because I couldn't work on the weekdays because I had at least one class every day. So I would work like Sundays and Saturdays or Saturday and Sunday. Um, and I would work in what is called a PRN position or per diem. And what that means is this is typically the same for all hospitals, is you are required to work like two shifts every four or five weeks, and you get to pick those shifts yourself. And that's really helpful and really flexible as a student. So I would definitely encourage pursuing that job, PRN specifically, um, because it gives you a lot of autonomy and independence and ability to tailor your work schedule to your school schedule and make sure you're never, you know, working right before a test or something and making yourself super tired. I think it's definitely doable. Um, I honestly prefer 12-hour shifts because you get so many hours over with in just one day. 
and you never have to worry with balancing like school and work in the same day because if I'm working it's a work day and I'm not doing any school work so I think it's great essays for PA school the most important thing you need to know is you need to talk about your niche why you specifically want to be a PA um, like like your personal experiences and your personal motivations it can't just be I'm inspired by PAs. I want to be a healthcare professional because I want to help people. Everybody wants to do that. You need to talk about what you can bring to the table. Um, and I would do a lot of research on what that means and what other people have written for their essays. Um, because it's very important that you get that essay good. Because there's only one on the CASPA, which is like the common app for PA school. There's only one big essay, really. And it's not even very long. So you need to make sure that you're, what you're saying matters and that it's very concise and clear and direct. Okay, testing for PA school. You do not take the MCAT. I personally would not uh, condone taking the GRE, which is the graduate school um, standardized test. It's kind of like the ACT. Um, I wouldn't condone taking that and the MCAT just to see where you get at because studying for the MCAT is very long and extensive and like giving a hundred percent in studying for the MCAT when you don't need to, in my opinion, would be a waste of time and resources. So for PA school, some of them will accept the MCAT, but most of them will want the GRE if anything. Um, it's kind of a tough test because you there a lot for a lot of it you can't really study for it um there's a verbal science section and a math section and i would suggest for the verbal section to use magoosh which is like a vocab app just to learn vocab words and then for the quantitative section i would use i used what's called target test prep you do have to pay for that one which sucks but it really helped i think it improved my math scored four points so it's pretty good your GRE score isn't, I would say, as weighty as the MCAT score. It's more of like a weed out test just to make sure it's not super, super low. Um, but don't fret about having like a super high GRE score. I don't think they care all that much. They care more, PA schools care more about your experiences um, than your grades because a lot of these applicants have long since graduated. A lot of them have been LPNs or respiratory therapists or physical therapists, and then they went back and decided to become PAs. So grades don't really matter in that aspect for them. Evaluators. Okay. So you have to get recommendation letters to go to PA school. And it's not like pre-med where you have to do that whole counsel or whatever. You just need letters. And I would suggest getting one letter from a professor, one letter from either an MD or a PA, and one letter from someone who you have worked with in the medical field. Um, that is, I would say, the best combo because you don't need more than one professor because your, how do I say this? Your academic work is only one part of the story. They need to see how you work in the medical field and they need to see how you work in the eyes of an MD or a PA that hopefully you have shadowed or worked with, etc. cetera. Um, yes, and ask for those letters at least two months early because when you finish the CASPA, you actually have to wait two weeks for it to quote unquote verify um, where they like just go through it and make sure it's all in order. Um, and you need to have your letters by then. So don't uh, wait the last second to ask for letters. It's a big deal 
everybody else is asking for letters, you need to ask ahead of time and make sure that those people are ready to go, they have information. When you ask for letters, um, you will also need to send them, I sent my uh, letter writers a resume and I sent them like a short essay blurb on why I wanted to be a PA. That basically just gives them a look into your motivations, a look into what you're doing, what you want, um, and it helps them kind of craft their letters um, in a conducive manner. Okay, so that kind of gets uh, the application done. I'm just going to touch on a couple resources. Um, the PA platform, again, that's a great one. YouTube, YouTube videos. I watched a lot of YouTube videos when I started about PA students, about PAs, MDs, whatever. Um, the general internet is a great source. Um, again, um, Belmont advisors are very helpful and very eager, and I have some great advisors, but there aren't any that are currently equipped to train pre-PA students and help them with that, that I know of. So do your own research. Um, and of course, if I'm still around, <laughs> if you're listening to this in some recent time, you can totally reach out to me. My email is alex.ficaro, which is F-I-C-A-R-R-O, at pop.belmont.edu. And you can totally email me any questions. Um, and I hope this was helpful. Um, good luck. And I wish you the very best.